Marriage is imposed by the man. That's the patriarchy, says the husband. Coming up on the Anti-Woke Podcast. The Glenn Show has regular John McWhorter on and uh, a guy named Ian Rowe, who I think runs charter schools or something. And they're talking about marriage, uh, specifically in, amongst the black community, where like in 1950, black people all got married and had, you know, had kids, families, all together, nuclear family, I guess. And so, you know, if you go from 1950 to today, um, White families, you know, the number of kids growing up in single-parent households, white kids, is much, much, much bigger than it used to be. And it's the same for everyone. I don't know, Asians, you never know about the Asians. But so Glenn asks, you know, what's so special about marriage? And they're talking about all the benefits, you know, of life outcomes. Just kids from a two-parent household do way better in, you know, virtually every metric you could come up with. That's all standard fare. I think probably stuff that I've mentioned a few times on this podcast over the last couple of years. But then Glenn said, Glenn said something interesting, which is in the Scandinavian countries, this is kind of like the Asians are a problem over here. The Scandinavians are a problem for the whole world. But in Scandinavia, the number of kids born to at least non-married couples is gotten a lot higher than it used to be. And I'm not sure. I don't know the number, but I guess it's gotten somewhat high. Anyways, those kids do fine. And it makes me think, when I was a kid, I grew up hippie style. I mean, a lot of my friends lived on communes and stuff. And the parents, they were college-educated people from Southern California who decided to drop out of the rat race. Uh, and a lot of those people did not get married. But a lot of those, a lot of, you know, they stayed together forever, but they were never married. I mean, and a lot of them got divorces or split up. But I guess the point is there's, I don't know, I don't know if single parent household does that mean not married or does that mean there is no other adult in the household so, um, that would make a difference because if you're if you're into hippie stuff you know you might be like oh marriage that's a whatever i'm not gonna get married that's marriage is imposed by the man that's the patriarchy right and that'd be the husband saying that but i think you know the existence of a marriage certificate is not what's critical it's something about the two parents putting in the energy into the kid and, you know, maybe it's just cost of living. It just, it's easier for two people to live than for one person to live. It's easier for two people to pay rent on one place than for two people to pay rent on two places. Or, you know, or to buy a house, heaven forbid. He mentions that for white women, 24 and under, so young ones, uh, it's now 61% chance of an unmarried birth. And obviously, people of color are going to have much more, um out of wedlock births. I don't know. I just, my knee-jerk reaction to everything like this is I just want to blame everything on the cost of housing. And then I blame that on the big three of automation, globalization, and immigration. For instance, you know, manufacturing jobs, a lot of that can be done with machines. I mean, not even robots, but just machines. So that's meant that manufacturing jobs have not increased as the general population of America has increased over the past... 50, 60, well, yeah, since the 70s, probably. And then globalization, you know, like the whole world had to buy their stuff from America. Like, I'm just going to look around me and uh, see, I don't know, I see a metal table, I see a wheelbarrow, I see a pickup truck. Well, before the 1970s, even if you were a far-off poor country, if you wanted a metal table, 
you probably had to buy one that was made in America, you know, or, you know, or Britain, whatever. Now, obviously, that stuff's all made in China. And we buy, you know, we buy our metal tables from China and wheelbarrows. But anyways, it used to be that if you wanted a job done right, you had to hire an American. But now you can hire someone in China, and they're cheaper. And then finally, immigration. You know, it's America would probably have about 10 houses for every 10 families that needed a house. But immigration means that we now have 10 houses for about every 11 families that need a house. And now you got yourself a bidding war. Or maybe lately a recession. And as I'm sure you heard, all that has worked out beautifully, beautifully for the higher end people. You know, you could be working at a company, you know, you're sending stuff off to China, you're buying robots, the immigration is sending your house price through the roof. I mean, you know, you're a millionaire. It used to be that being a millionaire was something special. Now it's like, I don't know. I think I know a bunch of people who are millionaires, at least as far as their house, you know, if you include the uh, housing um, values. But, you know, in the 80s, when I was a kid, if you said a millionaire, you meant someone that was crazy rich. Now you just mean someone who owns their home outright. I mean, a little exaggeration, but you get it. And I'm sure it's different in other parts of the country. Oregon has pretty high housing prices. All right, that was my boilerplate mini rant. Back to what they're saying. So for black women, 24 and under, the non-married birth rate is 91%. And I don't know how common this is, but the guy is saying, you know, it's, it's important to look at the young women. Because if you have a kid when you're young, you're basically, you know, unless you're prepared for it, and how the hell could you be? You know, this is 24 and under, so most of these women are probably, you know, 20. Well, you know, college is out the door, everything. Everything that was going to be about you making money and maybe getting a husband and raising a successful kid who does the same stuff them themselves, um, it's probably out the window. You know, he's saying, you know, if a 38-year-old woman who made her millions on Wall Street wants to get in vitro or whatever and be a single mom, that's a totally different situation. And so, I mean, you know, that's an exaggeration. I like it, though. But, I mean, I think, I think I can't imagine that, you know, maybe the big difference is, did you plan the pe pregnancy? Was it on purpose? And I think... Maybe 24 is a good cutoff, you know? If you're older than 24, you're probably doing this on purpose. You, you made it this long. Why the hell are you getting pregnant now? Oh, because you wanted to. Now, early ones, it's like, why are you getting pregnant now? It's because all these men are trying to get into your pants. And one of them made it through the, uh, I was going to say video game defenses, but no, anyways, every, you know, whatever. Young women and young men, they like to get frisky. It's on them both. Although, only one of them kind of has to pay for it. Well, plus the kid. But Glenn brings up the the thing that I should have said. I, whatever. The, the thing about Scandinavia kind of points to it. Having married parents is not the cause of problems. That's a symptom of the problem. You know, what kind of person gets married? Uh, it's two people. You know, people people choose... I forget, I forget the numbers, but you know, like on a, on a scale of one to ten, you know, you like, like, you know, how attractive you are, how rich you are, how good a personality you are. People choose, people try, people usually try and get someone who's the same number as them or a higher one. Like everyone wants a higher one. You know, every man wants a much hotter wife and every woman wants a much richer man than her. And, you know, and maybe some man wants a rich woman and maybe some woman wants a super attractive man, but you get the idea. 
But so basically, you know, success goes with success and failure goes with failure. You know, if you're a one, you're looking for a two. If you're a seven, you're looking for an eight, you know, and it, you know, you know and if you're a seven, maybe you get an eight, maybe you don't, maybe you get another seven. A lot of people get someone the same as them. Maybe you get a six, right? But if you're a seven, you're not going to take anything less than a six. You'll just stay single. And so basically to get married, you're going to be a higher number on this scale because First off, you got to have a more stable life, you know? Being homeless, for instance, is just not going to work for getting married. An ugly homeless man is not going to be marrying a smoking hot stockbroker woman, for instance, and vice versa. But Glenn's example is, you know, you, t you take some gangbanger from the bad part of Chicago and, you know, he has a teenage girlfriend who didn't graduate from high school. If for some reason they got married, it wouldn't change anything. You know, they're just, whatever. They don't have what is required to succeed in America today. And so the real problem is, is you need to, you need to make it so people can succeed. If you can make it so people su can succeed, I mean, basically financially and educationally and stuff like that, you know, not growing, in, growing up in an abusive household, violence, violence as a kid is bad for your brain. Well, then all of a sudden, people will be getting married, and then the kids will be coming from in-wedlock births. Which obviously makes it tricky, because, you know, it's easy to say, hey, you should have gotten married. It's hard to say, uh, you should have grown up in a society that values low-education labor. And so, the guy's answer, I mean, it's, it's the truth. He's like, you know, the gangbanger with the teenage girlfriend, they're fucked. And that kid, the kid from that union, is fucked. It's too late. Actually, that's not true. I think that's what I would say. What he would say is, you got to catch him younger. So the gangbanger and the teenage girlfriend, they're both fucked. But the kid may not be fucked. So, you know, that's... I mean, whatever. This guy does charter schools or something. They're designed to help, I think, black kids succeed. And so his idea is that you have to get in there young and create the... Whatever things you need for success later in life. And you have to start young, otherwise it's too late. Which I think we can all agree, you got to start young. But I believe, to this day, we don't know what to do. I mean, since the 60s, especially 70s on, um, we've been trying stuff. You know, you got famous names like Head Start, etc. No Child Left Behind. And, you know, as we do more and more and more of that stuff, um, things get worse and worse. Basically, that stuff doesn't work. I mean, maybe this guy's school, in particular, works. But, in general, it's been a total failure. It's been a countrywide failure. Like Baltimore School District, I think they're the third highest spending per student in America, and they have like the absolute worst outcomes for their kids. I mean, Baltimore's a real shithole. But it shows you that just money doesn't do it. Well, like I say, we just don't know how to do it. If anyone ever knew how to do it, then everyone would, do, everyone would copy them. That would be it. You just need one person to figure out how to do it, and then everyone can copy them. But that hasn't happened yet. And so, Ian, I mean, these guys are all Harvey, uh, Harvard, not Harvard. They're all Ivy League educated, non-woke black men of the same age. They're all super good lifelong friends. But Glenn kind of takes them to task. And I think it's, so I didn't mention it, one of the things, so he runs these schools, one of the parts of the schools is religion, which I think is probably a good thing and probably is... A component of maybe raising successful kids in the situations that his schools are in but sometimes religious people are just not quite as 
thorough on the logic. Because kind of what he's saying is, you know, how do you create successful kids? Well, you make sure that their parents are successful. Well, how do you make sure that the parents are successful? Well, you catch them when they're kids, and you make them, you make them successful then. And I think you can see, well, how do you make them successful then? Oh, we well, got to make the parents successful. Got to make the kids successful. It's just a circular, I think it's circular reasoning is the logical fallacy there. So I guess, you know, the idea is the school has to break in and take unsuccessful parents and make those people, those kids, make their kids successful. Well, and his answer to that is they have a class for 12 year olds and they just tell them stuff like, if you don't wait till you're married to have a kid, then you're 99% likely to end up in poverty. You know, which is like, uh, I hope your 12-year-old understands statistics and the ramifications on their life and can imagine what it's going to be like when they're 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 and retired. Hopefully they got a good grasp on all of that in their little 12-year-old brain right now. I mean, he gave them the choice. He said, you know, and he says, you can do whatever you want. If you have a kid before you're married, you're going to be fucked. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, it's good not to withhold that information, but I don't think telling kids that stuff is going to change them that much. On the other hand, no one told me anything when I was a kid. They should have They should have told me more. More information is probably good. And so Ian Rowe, he's talking about the charter schools that he had been running and is starting up. Like he had been doing elementary and middle school. And he didn't say the exact percentage, but... Anyways, they were, it's all, you know, it's all black and brown kids and in the Bronx. And he had gotten them so that at the end of, I believe, eighth grade, middle school, um, they were ready for college compared to other eighth grade middle school kids. And then they left his charter school system and went off into just the public school system in the Bronx. And 7% of them, you know, if they graduated at all, or anyways, 7% of them graduated with ready for college stats. I think that just means test scores. So, I don't know. I don't know if you want to say the high schools ruined them, but the high schools did not keep it going. And so now he's starting up some high schools. He's like, okay, I don't know, you know, I guess you got to do it K through 12, but so he's starting up some good high schools. And then John is like, yeah, you know, I'm afraid though that your high schools, it's going to be kids of, you know, African immigrants and Caribbean immigrants. And he's like, yeah, actually, we do have a lot of kids like that. It's hard. And so the guy's kind of like his, I don't know, he, I'm sure he would not agree with my characterization here of, of what he's saying. He's like, yeah, this is like, you know, this is like affirmative action at Harvard where these are not descendants of American slavery who are, you know, the black kids at Harvard are you know, the stereotypical children of Nigerian doctors. This is not helping out descendants of American slavery. And so he's like, you know, yeah, so his fancy new high schools that help black kids, um, whatever, they're the same. And he's kind of, and, he, and it seems to be his attitude is kind of like, hey, we, I mean, they're black. We are helping black kids. Like, we are literally helping black kids lead successful lives. Now, they're not descended from slavery. They're descended from immigrants, but they are black. And I think that's interesting because it, it makes me think of Harvard and affirmative action. Like if you ask Harvard what they're doing, they say, we're not doing it. If you're like, hey, why are you keeping out Asians and letting in unqualified black kids? 
They're like, we're not doing that. Well, you know, the evidence is absolutely incontrovertible that that's what's happening, but and the Supreme Court's about to hit that stuff, hey, next month. But I guess what they don't say, and it would be interesting if Harvard, if Harvard was like, hey, we're not, we know we're not making up for slavery at all, or helping, you know, American black people, but, what is that, African Americans. We're not helping African Americans, but hey, we got a bunch of black people, we're helping them, they're all going to be rich, so, you know, isn't that good enough? I mean, basically, I guess if Harvard were to speak the truth, that's what they would say. They would say, no, this has nothing to do with making up for slavery, but we're helping, you know, black people, and we're going to make them rich. Isn't that good enough? Or isn't that great? Maybe that's great. And he gives some stats on charter schools in New York City. So in New York, there's a million students. Makes the numbers pretty easy. And currently, 100, or actually, you know, this is from 2019, the last year that data was available. So 120,000 of the kids were in charter schools. So that's 12%. And then 60,000 kids wanted in but couldn't get in because there's not enough slots. So that's 6%. I mean, so that means, so that's 18%. 18% wanted in, not all of them got in. Uh, that means 18% of kids have parents who, well, either they're in, a, they're in a neighborhood where the school is already good, and so you're done. I don't know what proportion that is. Who knows? That's probably half. I bet half the schools are good. And so then of the other half, uh, you got 18% of them are trying to get their, you know, the parents care enough to try and get their kids into a better school. But whatever, I'm making these numbers up. But that would leave 30%, 300,000 kids with parents who don't have their shit together enough to try and get their kid into a better school, and probably kids that, you know, if you, if you put all the worst kids into a charter school, all of a sudden that genius-looking charter school is a hellhole, so it's tricky. Oh, right, and New York has a cap on the number of charter schools allowed. So that must be the 12%. And that's because the teachers at charter schools are not part of the teachers' union. And the teachers' union is the most powerful union in America. And the teachers' union um, gets the politicians to say, put a cap on it. Like, you can't have any more charter schools because, you know, otherwise they would, I guess, have to quit their job and go work at a charter school. And I've said before that, you know, systemic racism doesn't really exist. It's a terrible name for it, but... Uh, if you want an example of real systemic racism, the teachers' unions might be might be the exact thing. Look up systemic racism in the dictionary and find a picture of a teachers' union. Because, you know, I think the schools in the white neighborhoods where everyone's rich are doing just fine. And then the schools in the black neighborhoods where everyone's poor are terrible. And the teachers' union is like, we need to keep everything exactly the way it is now. Don't change nothing. Or let's slow down the rate of change to the maximum. And it's just funny because teachers are the wokest, I mean, especially young ones. And teachers' unions give all their money to the Democrats who say that they oppose systemic racism. And to steel man the other side a little bit, you know, I think Republicans are like, oh, the teachers' union is screwing over black kids. Well, I don't give a shit about that. So the, Repu the Democrats have been bought off by the teachers' union to screw over black kids. And the Republicans are like, well, I don't give a shit about black kids getting screwed over. And so, you know, sit and spin, kids. Then they're talking about where do these charter schools get their money from? And I thought it was just from, I guess, the city, you know, school fund, but it's not entirely true. I guess currently, charter schools get about 75% as much money as regular public schools do per student. 
you know, I don't know what it costs per student in New York, but I think across America, you know, schools pay maybe 25000 to $50,000 per student. And if for some reason, you know, like a bunch of students, you don't, whatever, if all your, I don't know, if you're in a small town where all the parents move away because there's no jobs and they take their kids with them, then, you know, that school loses the funding because they don't have the kids anymore, for instance. But this part is not clear to me, but for some reason, to start up your charter school, I don't know if they don't give you the 75% right off the bat or what, but you have to go looking for people to help you. You gotta ask, you gotta beg rich people or foundations. And so I don't know if it's just the schools that this guy starts. It sounds like he started tons of them, but, um, or if it's all charter schools, but at least his schools are not woke. It sounds like maybe charter schools in general are not necessarily as woke, you know, like normal schools are woke as fucking shit, but like his thing does not have any diversity, equity, inclusion stuff built into his school. And he's saying that means, you know, there's a bunch of rich people and there's a bunch of foundations that they're like, oh, well, we're not going to give you any money. If you, don't, if you don't have a bunch of diversity, equity, inclusion horseshit built into your curriculum, then we won't give you money. So I guess he gets his money from, I don't know what, right-wing sources. Rich people. Sounds like, well, yeah, rich people, rich found, and found, right-wing foundations. And then apparently once you get the school up and running, then you can just take your 75% of what normally a student costs and... Uh, you're good. And these are better students, so they, they would be cheaper. I mean, 75% is fine. Um, like, it, people in America think that poor schools get less money per student, but that's not true because, you know, let's just call them retards. If you got a retard, you get a whole bunch of extra money. You know, a retard gets a whole worker that just follows them around all day long. Sorry, I just like that word. But, you know, if you got a dyslexic kid, you know, schools get extra money. Like, every dyslexic kid... You get the normal amount of money for a student, and then you get some extra because it's harder to teach a dyslexic kid. And supposedly, extra money will help with that. So they're probably fine with their 75%, and they got the motivated parents and the good students and blah, blah. But then he's talking about how charter schools are fighting um, the teachers' unions. And he's saying that to do a high school, it's a lot more difficult than a charter school. I mean, you can imagine, like, teaching third grade math, any teacher can do it, but to teach, you know, high school calculus, you need a very specialized teacher. He doesn't say this at all, so it seems to me like high schools, at least Portland, Portland, Oregon, where I came from, the high schools were huge, you know, little elementary schools, who cares, but the high schools were huge, they're big, you know, it's almost like a college, it's like a shitty college. But what's interesting just about the laws, and I think it's probably New York State, um, what you do is you create a elementary charter school and then you know after a few years i don't know you start with first graders i don't know what but after a few years right you got all these super smart or whatever you got these kids who are not total fuck-ups and so you go to the state and you're like hey look we're about to send our fifth graders off to this public school where everyone is a complete failure we need to start a charter school for middle school and so Whatever. New York allowed people to start elementary schools, and then because of this little rule about not sending your kid off to have them ruined, they got a whole bunch of uh, middle schools. But because high schools are difficult, they haven't been able to say, okay, we don't want our middle school kids ruined by the high school. So, anyways, you got to send them off to be ruined. You know, which is what the teachers' union is 
That's what they want. I mean, that's how they make their money. Let me tell you what. If you give, you know, if, if you give me like a button, give me a give me a million a million dollars in a suitcase and a magic button, and you're like, okay, you can either have this suitcase full of a million dollars, or you can push this million dollar button that makes all the kids in New York City way smarter and educated than they currently are. I'd be like, I'd be looking for stuff to spend that million dollars on. And so that's the same thing for, you know, if you're a teacher, you're like, hey, do you want to have a good job and be able to buy your own house? Or do you want to help, you know, black kids on the other side of the city? You're like, uh, you know what? I got kids. Fuck them. Well, and he mentions the teachers themselves probably wouldn't agree. Like if you asked the individual teacher, hey, do you want to allow for more charter schools and help out black kids? They'd be like, you know, even though it means a pay, pay, pay cut, the, the teachers would be like, yeah, or a lot of them would, you know, maybe over 50% of them would, but they're just never, they're never asked that. The union doesn't ask them if they want that. The union is just like, more money, less problems. And then the politics, I don't know, the guy brings up that it is systemic racism. You know, if that, if that were a thing that could exist, this would be the example of it, just like I said, and... Um, and then, obviously, there's the irony that black people vote 90-something percent Democrat. And then teachers' unions are the number one Democrat donors. So you got people on people with opposite things that they want all combined into the Democratic Party. But, you know, if you're one of those parents who doesn't care enough or know enough, whatever, let's just say know enough, doesn't know enough, doesn't have the ability to you know, fight to get their kid into the charter schools, um, you know, whatever. You probably don't have the ability to go, oh, hey, it's the Democrats that are keeping, that would have kept my kid out of the charter schools if I had tried to get them in. So that's going to take decades for people to wise up to. And also, charter schools are associated with Republicans. Republicans love charter schools because they want to destroy the teachers' union, not because they want to help any kids. But now that means, you know, if you're a hardcore Democrat voter, you're not going to vote for a Republican, because of the charter school thing. Twitter handle, at Anti-Woke Podcast, and thanks for listening.